Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code podcast for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Dig Insights. Using decision science, Dig Insights helps researchers at the world's most well-loved brands drive growth in crowded categories. Their work is supported by proprietary technology, including Upside, the only ResTech platform exclusively built to test and optimize innovation. Learn more at diginsights.com. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy with another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to share it with us. And as usual, by us, it is not my multiple personalities. We do have a guest. And I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation today. So my guest is Neil Seaman. Neil is the founder of WeWe, but that is actually not why we're talking today. (laughs) So Neil, why don't you give a quick introduction and we'll dive into the actual topic. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Lenny. Uh, by way of context, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a founder of Rewe. Fell into the market <laughs> research, research insights, business, big data, really by accident back in 2011. And Lenny, uh, you were actually one of the first people I met who uh, embraced me despite the fact that I didn't have a traditional insights background, which I, I was very grateful for. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, I'm based here in Toronto. I'm a father, husband, a serial entrepreneur, both in for-profit and the non-profit space with a special uh, passion and interest in promoting mental health awareness, the destigmatization of mental health challenges. And most recently with my current book, Accelerated Minds, zeroing in on the mental health demons of entrepreneurs and why we need to talk about that and address that as a society, because it's really important for the future of prosperity. Fantastic. And that's, that's a great segue. Now, before we do, uh, for our audience, uh, yes, Riri was one of the, uh, early winners of the insight and innovation competition at IEX in Philadelphia, I think, uh, one of the first ones. I remember it. Well, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a very colorful experience being on stage and, and getting those questions from the audience and uh, and answering them. I think you can still catch it on video. I don't know if you got the audience reaction. <laughs> I'm not sure, but we have some of it. So it's, it's interesting. And full transparency, I did actually recently, and thank you, uh, assume a, uh, a board role at Rewe. So just so for transparency, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. So I'm just putting out there for, for transparency. When Neil reached out to me about launching his book and on this topic, and that's what we're going to talk about is mental health and particularly the applications in, or the implications for entrepreneurs. I thought, now that is a hell of a topic. That is something that deserves attention. And as a serial entrepreneur, I've certainly had my ups and downs as uh, many of us have. So, so let's dive into, into that. Let's talk about what kind of drove you in this particular focus around mental health. And we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. Thank you, Lenny. It was a double-barreled force inspiration. So 
On one hand, I had my my father pass away in January 2021. Philip Seaman, he was a world acclaimed dopamine scientist, understanding how that natural chemical in the brain uh, works to affect a whole range of mental health conditions and and the drugs associated with it and how they can alleviate it and also sometimes cause harm. And then at the same time, I was seeing, you know, whole range of, of mental health crises among fellow founders and entrepreneurs, some of whom I knew very, very well, and some of whom I just, you know, read about in the media. You know, we know the famous ones like, you know, Kate Spade, Aaron Schwartz, Tony Che, like a whole range of kind of famous entrepreneurs whose suicides make the news. Um, but what we don't hear about is, you know, heavy addiction, you know, three times the rate of, of heavy substance abuse, twice the rate of major depression, twice the rate of hospitalization for suicide, bipolar, anywhere from three to 10 times as high. And ADHD, of course, is, is, is commonly uh, known among entrepreneurs and big picture the condition that's often associated with it is what people call overactive brain syndrome. It's what, it's what I like to call it. I'm thinking of my own experience as a, a serial entrepreneur and also as an audience, I don't talk about this very often, but uh, as a person in recovery, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober 33 years. And uh, I don't think I've often made the connection between my entrepreneurial drive of chasing the highs as the same thing that I experienced during active addiction uh, in my, my younger years with, uh, with chemicals. But there is an analogy for there. And certainly, as you talk about the depression, I mean, some of the lowest points that I've had in my life, outside of personal you know, family member deaths and those type of things, were because of business failures. I remember vividly two points of business challenge where I, I thought I'm worth more dead than alive. And if not for family and those type of things, the outcome may have been, if I hadn't already been in, in recovery, the outcome may have been very bad. So as you have explored that, the, these ideas, well, let's talk about how, how, how did you research for the book? Let's talk about that. Kind of, you know, were you looking at, at stories, anecdotes from, from founders? Uh, was there just a body of clinical research already available for you? Kind of walk us through that process of, how you, you synthesize this into your book. Yeah, thank you, uh, Lenny. Well, you know, first off, let me thank you for sharing your vulnerability about your, your challenges. I mean, one of the things as entrepreneurs that we value most in other people is vulnerability. And yet at the same time, we're often very resistant to talking about our mental health demons. And because there's so many incentives not to, right? We're portrayed as stoic superheroes, unflappable, investors often are get worried if we if we talk about those challenges so so it, it takes a lot to open up so thank you in terms of the research process i was fortunate with respect to my my father's papers that he had collected and and shared with me that in each of uh, his papers he summarized the finding the key finding of the study in the actual title but that was relatively easy i had access to all his students who were very helpful, his dopamine research students across the world, many of whom are now acclaimed dopamine researchers studying this topic. I also had access to the family members who would reach out to my dad because my dad, like my mom, who specialized in mental health for women, the family members were very grateful to my parents' research because when they embarked on this in the 60s and 70s in New York at Rockefeller, 
you know, very few people were understanding of this kind of concept. And they thought that mental health conditions were owing to the mother's fault, you know, poor child rearing when we know that that's not accurate. So, so I had access to this. And then I also had access to a range of really eclectic researchers in different fields in economic, in psychiatry, in business. I did that research on my own. The challenge with the study of dopamine in many fields of research is that it's important to understand it from different perspectives. And yet the scientific community often doesn't talk to the, you know, those who study economics and, and business and, and all that. So it was the constellation of all those processes that led me down this, this path of, of research. Yeah, it's fascinating. You being an entrepreneur, but also having this family background, it seems like almost a no-brainer synthesis of your, your own experience, as well as the legacy of your parents. Is that fair that it kind of came together with those two factors to an extent to drive the interest in, uh, in exploring this? Yeah. You know, Lenny, it's really interesting the way you, you ask that question, because it, it aligns with how I define entrepreneurship too. Like it's often this evidence-based process that twins different forces that lead to a kind of, you know, eureka moment or, or combinatory force. And cause that's not actually what, what's happened in my entrepreneurial ventures. You know, you see sort of two things aligning. And I think that is what was going on. Originally, I was going to write this book as a scientific history book. But it really was very important to me to write this as an accessible book for a general audience. And I'm really glad I did that because it's had all sorts of, you know, positive effects in terms of, you know, there's been some people who have contacted me and said, Hey, look, you've, you've saved my marriage. You know, you helped explain through the data that you revealed, uh, just how I'm not alone. And interestingly enough, to my surprise. A lot of scientists themselves were able just, just because when you write something accessible, it's always hard to write an accessible book on a complex topic. And certainly if it's, uh, you know, shorter, it's harder. It, it was helpful in just getting it out. And now I, I have, I was done to get an invitation. I'm speaking in two weeks in Bethesda at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, uh, and, uh, National Institute on Aging, uh, giving a special annual lecture. And, and, you know, I, I, I've had a, a really rich and diverse conversation as a result of, of this path. That is so cool. It's neat. I think that the destigmatization of mental health as a whole is certainly something that our society needs to be healthy overall and exploring all the different factors. And particularly, again, I have maybe a biased view because I, you know, I think for myself, like, wow, I was a, you know, drug addict. You know, alcoholic, uh, I, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have achieved the levels of success that I've achieved in my own life. So I get a little kind of rah rah of like, come on, let's let's <laughs> let's hear it for the people that we think of as screw ups, right? The folks that right. have had these challenges of like, no, you you know, once you can address those issues, you can make massive impacts in the world. And obviously, based upon everything you shared earlier about some of the challenges that do face so many entrepreneurs in terms of you know, chemical dependency, depression, et cetera, et cetera, that there's this misconception that, you know, mental health is a barrier, but it seems as if actually what we think of as this uh, kind of out of whack mental health in many ways is the imperative for striving for success. Is that a, a, a finding, you know, of this, this, we must achieve, we must achieve because you're chasing the dopamine hit that comes from that. Yeah. So there's definitely 
some connectivity. It's nuanced and, and in some cases, controversial. So, you know, in my own case, look, uh, my, my family uh, escaped the Nazi Holocaust because we had members of my family who were bipolar and they, they, they shoved uh, my mother uh, and, and others on a train that was otherwise going to go to Auschwitz and, and it went elsewhere. And that, that bipolar and, and a whole range of activities was neuroprotective and evolutionarily protective. Now, with respect to dopamine and its connection to addiction, unquestionably, there is uh, a connection. It, with addiction, there's the impulse to chase that first high, right? And it's elusive. You never get that high. It, with entrepreneurship, what we've now found, um, Helen Pushkaraya's research at Yale has been really instrumental here, where entrepreneurs tend to events sort of events hypomania. And that hypomania and drive tends to be most intense at the early stages when you're first telling your friends and family, you're first trying to raise financing for your venture. It's like, wow, you know, you're on that running streak, right? And that that is obviously hard to win back. And so there's, you know, a lot of what my book is, I hope, is sort of a message of hope because I do feel that there are things we can do both on an individual level, community level, media level, even, you know, structural governance level that can help, let's just say, keep us, keep us in check. We're going to take a quick pause to highlight our podcast partner, Dig Insights. Have you listened to Dig In? It's the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights, designed for brand professionals that crave innovation inspiration. Each week, Dig invites a business leader onto the podcast to spill the beans on the story behind some of the coolest innovations on the market. Search Dig In wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk about that. So we're talking kind of high level. Obviously, you get into some real recommendations. So, so let's think about it, a hypothetical case study. Someone like me, right? Walk us through the process of helping somebody through your findings to achieve more balance and in greater mental health and understand that, you know, certainly it's a systemic thing. I totally get that. But ultimately there is an individual component of that. So what does that look like? How do you help the individual entrepreneur or founder find greater balance through your findings in your book? Yeah. Thanks, Lenny. So the first step is to recognize that you're, you're not alone. Right. And so in my book, I prosecute an argument basically that there's a spectrum of entrepreneurs. And on one level, you have the fast money entrepreneurs often do egregious things and, and there's, uh, you know, streaming videos about them and their household names. Right. And then on the other side, you have actually most entrepreneurs who are what I call values based entrepreneurs. We create a business for ourselves, for our community and for lasting meaning, right? Not just to make money. Money is a good positive derivative benefit. So it's important to mention that spectrum because values-based entrepreneurs tend to be entrepreneurs who take things really personally, especially when there's things that happen outside of their control, right? Like, you know, something happens and everything happens, right? Like twice in one day, right? You know? <laughs> and so even if the business may look beautiful from the outside, it, it's like a, what I call a Strasnicki on the inside as a character and catcher in the rye. It's a long story, but uh, Holden's roommate. But uh, yeah, so, so you recognize you're not alone, you know the data, 
Um, it's like, okay, from the start, I think you need to know about being very transparent with your significant others about why you're embarking on the vision that, that you are. One of the messages I'm really talking about here is no matter whether your venture is tremendously successful or a complete bomb, right? If you haven't been transparent, all sorts of bad things can happen and schisms in, in, in relationships can happen. So transparency. Then secondly, sort of surrounding yourselves with, yourself with what I call a phalanx of people who are supporting of you. They may be other founders. They may be a co-founder. Uh, it's really good to have people from outside of your industry, people who just get it. This is like a community that you can go back and talk to. Then, you know, as you go down the line, you know, those people can help you recognize when you're skidding off course, like when your eyes aren't on the prize, when you're being too reactive, you're personalizing things too much. So they, they're people you trust and, and people who can point that out to you. And then if you are going off track and even before that, there's a number of what are called neuromodulation techniques that you can use. Um, and I talk about that. Essentially, the, we know that the brain is, is, is neuroplastic or, you know, can, can heal itself, so to speak. And so there's a number of things we can do that puts ourselves in check. So there, there are hacks that people talk about, right? Like there's, I mean, for some people, uh, yeah, you know, these Eric Windoff ice baths really work. I'm not, not a pitch man for him, but you know, like, you know, and, uh, journaling that's been evidenced to be very successful. I'm a big fan of journaling in that journaling process, really channeling, okay, why did you embark on the vision you embarked on? What have you accomplished that day that, that maps against that vision? A whole range of what's often referred to as cognitive behavioral therapy techniques where you can write down, okay, worst case scenarios. And then, you know, after things have been resolved, you write down physically, okay, what happened? What was the consequence of that? And then there are some, you know, funnier ones, like the Seinfeld technique. I don't know if you remember that one where George Costanza does the opposite. So uh, like quite literally, that is a neuromodulation <laughs> technique. Like he gets the girl, he gets the job, the dream job, <laughs> you know, all of that. Um, when he does the opposite, orders the opposite sandwich and all that stuff, right? So, you know, there's a range of, of things, but I think what's most important is to recognize that you're not alone. And especially if you're a values-based entrepreneur, just try to surround yourselves with others. You know, there are words that you need to be wary of when you're an entrepreneur, because as an entrepreneur, you often have this fusillade of other forces that are affecting your mental health. So a word that I try to expunge from my vocabulary is spelled E-X-I-T, right? That's <laughs> Right. That's the word that let's just say the, the, the financial community, wall street, you know, sort of a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, incubators, accelerators, venture capitalists, investors like to talk about. And what's the problem with that word? Well, it signifies short-termism, right? If you're a values-based entrepreneur, you're trying to build something for longevity. You're trying to build it for a long term. You know, I have a friend who says that his EXIT plan is death, right? And, and that's, that's because he's building something for the long term, right? So like, so that's why I say you need that phalanx of individuals. They need to remind you what's going on here. And it's very tough when you have all these forces saying that EXIT is, is the plan. That's a, 
that's a dirty word, right? Um, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, that's just fascinating. So I'm thinking from my own experience, again, kind of equating it to, I don't want to get too far into this, but I found sobriety and recovery through a 12-step program and going to meetings and, you know, those type of things. And, and I'm hearing the same principles. There's, there's an established set of wisdom here right, on having a, a, a mentor or, in my experience, a sponsor, you know, an individual that would slap you upside the head and say, yeah, maybe you need to rethink this, right, hold you accountable uh, while also being someone to listen to, or the power of, of a group, you know, of being able to share with other folks that are struggling with that too and that, that sense of I'm not, al- yeah, I'm not alone, the connection and empathy that occurs there. And whether it occurs through, you know, a self-help group or just a, you know, a you know, a peer group or you know, something that's more informal, just thinking of, of, of those parallels. And, and most importantly, I remember vividly my sponsor, uh, I was about five years sober. I'll share this fact too far. I wasn't an entrepreneur yet. I was just a kid and I'm trying to, you know, just not, uh, just <laughs> not go back to drinking and doing drugs and saying, you know, now you just need to do the opposite of everything you ever thought was the right thing to do. Now you do the opposite. And, <laughs> and if you do that lot, because obviously what you did right. didn't work, right? it got you here. Right. So, and at the time, it's like, that's just stupid. What do you, you know, no, until I did. Right. And then somehow life changed. Right. And so that the, the power of that wisdom is what I'm trying to get to. It's just really interesting that no matter which angles we look at, right? And we can arrive, it's, it's, it's interesting to me personally that you arrive at the same conclusions by coming from a different, very different direction, right? Looking at the uh, kind of the clinical studies of your parents and, and you know, all of, of those places that the same fundamentals are, you know, find a support group, help folks to keep you accountable and, and point you in the right direction when you go off and, uh, and be open to change, ultimately being teachable. And those are challenging concepts for anybody, I think particularly for folks, because th- there's a certain level of ego that drives the entrepreneurs as well, right? Um, uh, at least for me. And I think that <laughs> be- being the humility is not something that comes naturally. And, and ultimately, that's the kind of the value or principle I hear us talking about, right? There's a level of humility there. And my experience is if I'm not humble, I will get humbled. The universe just has a way of making sure that I get the message one way or the other. But to embrace that, embrace that as part of this, uh, this process of growth and success is just a really interesting and almost alien concept to so many. So does that resonate for you? Or are you thinking, Lenny, what the hell are you talking about? hundred percent. I should say, by the way, you're manifesting one of the best neuromodulation techniques, which is laughter. You know, some, you know, some people recommend 15 minutes of forced laughter every day. Uh, it can have a triggering uh, uh, biochemical uh, effect. You know, an AA and a 12-step program, that whole model is really instructive. And in fact, I dedicate part of my book to it because it draws on the work of Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, the, the psychiatrist who wrote about the, the camps and, and those who were able to survive it. And I tie that into some of the thinking around AA and the writing of Vaclav Havel, who talks about hope and the concept of hope. And hope is different than sort of optimism, right? Like, so entrepreneurs are often unbridled optimism. We need to be optimistic, but hope isn't different. Hope is about things making sense. 
like things w- make sense in the universe. And I like the AA model to the extent I understand it, because when you have hope, that's the first step toward sort of climbing yourself from out from the very, very bottom. And um, yeah, like I, I, I've been connecting with a lot of people who have been through those programs and they tell me, yeah, a lot of Neil, well, a lot of what you're saying is very analogous. It does make sense to me. And now, yeah, on the ego side, you know, narcissism definitely it manifests itself in many fields. I dare say that there's uh, another another field, politics, where it's probably more <laughs> entertainment. More, guess, yes, po- 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 and, uh, yes, politics and entertainment. Uh, I don't think you can you, you can't do yeah. that unless you're a narcissist. I think. So. Well, yeah, there you go. Like it's evolutionarily adaptive, I suppose. <laughs> that being said, I'm not really sure of the history of politics. Was always thus. Well, I got to say, I never, ever, ever expected to have a conversation on this podcast with uh, uh, professionally to talk about this topic and just how wonderful it is. So, so thank you, Neil, for being brave enough to and being inspired enough to uh, to address this. Truly, I'm thrilled. And for the audience, I promise, you know, our future podcasts are not going to turn into, you know, self-help group sessions. Well, unless you want us to. Maybe maybe that's something we should do. I don't know. So let, let's step back now. We've talked a lot about people who have gone on this journey and have struggled. Is there a way to proactively build some mechanisms to help prevent some of these challenges that may come? And, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, thanks. So... I should say I'm not alone in my prescriptions, in particular, Michael Freeman at the University of California. And I really emphasize this, which is being very accurate about pre-entrepreneurial messaging. So, you know, we have this narrative now, it didn't used to exist, in my opinion, before the dot-com world, that entrepreneurship is all about, you know, the fast EXIT and, and glory and, and, and things and stuff. And it's about moving fast and breaking things. I mean, even Mike, Mark Zuckerberg actually sort of corrected his view on that because it's empirically false. And so we need to be very direct in our pre-entrepreneurial messaging at the, you know, at the college level, at certainly within the media as well. You know, the media tend to, you know, they love to talk about entrepreneurship when it's meteoric success or meteoric failure, right? Where, so the, those messages of what it's truly like, that it's like, you know, high highs and low lows twice in one day, as Ben Horowitz uh, likes to say, right? So we need to be accurate and we need to tell people early on that there are tools and, and techniques to, to reach out for and that there's uh, entrepreneurial e- ecosystems that you can rely on. You know, at the investor level, I've had some really interesting conversations with, you know, household name investors who talk about how they actually don't like to be on board because they're often worried that they're not going to get, of companies they invest in rather, because they're not going to get that free range communication when that, when that founder is, is really in trouble and they need that because they need to help them if they're a seasoned investor. And so I feel outside of the formal governance mechanisms of a company, there can be channels of communication, safe and secure communication around talking about these, these issues. I think, you know, once you get beyond that and, you know, tools and tips, and I should say on the, on the tools and systems and the data, having access to the data and feeling that you're not alone, you know, 
Securities exchanges have been very receptive to my ideas around this. Um, a whole range of investor groups have been very, very excited about these ideas that I'm talking about. I think that's going to come. But when we get further down the path uh, and things are, you know, really getting off course, uh, you need to have quick access, right? And this is where quick access to services when you need it. And this is where stigmatization is the real issue we need to battle. And when I talk about mental health stigma, I'm being very simple here. I just feel that mental health needs to be put on the same plane as physical health. That's it, right? Human health, that's all. And so if you can have that, that access, I do believe that uh, on top of access, and pre-entrepreneurial messaging. The leaders within any organization need to preach that and live that. We, we've seen that, right? Like we, we've seen it during the early years of the pandemic, like the, the people that employees invested the most trust in, um, in small businesses were leaders who manifest and demonstrated empathy and recognition of mental health concerns, either of their employees or family members, children and elderly people. So you know, this is a range, this is a polyglot of, of solutions. This is a complex and complex dynamic problem, as my colleague, uh, Diane Feingood likes to say. Yeah. So I want to be conscious of your time and, and our listeners, because I think we could go so many different directions with this. And I want to go ahead and put it out there. I would like to have you come back at some point and talk about kind of this next question a little more in depth. And that is, to your point, there, there's a lot that needs to be done. What does the future look like for you? What is your hope in helping to build that new vision of, of support and health, not just within the entrepreneurial community, I assume, but across the board for everybody? What are you aspiring for now? What I'm aspiring for now is something that people have been pushing me in a direction to talk about. I never imagined myself doing, which is talking about the future of capitalism. So we have invested a level of short-termism in capitalism that was beyond the scope. And, and frankly, I think Ayn Rand would turn in horror in her grave if she saw some of the short-termism that has been attached to, 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 to capitalism. So I'm getting in those conversations. Like in terms of the benchmarks of success that I wanted for this book, I've achieved them in, in the sense that people are talking about it. Wow. You know, and having this conversation and, and it's happening at the boardrooms and at the securities exchanges and a whole range of other places. Uh, and there's banks interested in this and talking about it. So, so, so that's great. Next steps for me are to demonstrate it, right? Like I, I want to live it and there's others who are living it too, like here, like demonstrate it. So any entrepreneurial ventures that I do, I'm doing both on the nonprofit. I do for-profit stuff as well. We demonstrate through success, through long-termism. And, you know, th this is stuff that you know, many uh, seasoned uh, innovators, I mean, Clayton Christensen talked about, right? It's like, once you stick to a strategy and you deliver on that strategy and you, you keep to that cadence and deliver, then people pay attention, right? We have lived in a moment of history, a moment of history, which is a moment and that, that moment fell in love with moving really, really fast and celebrating things really, really quickly. And I think we need to, and we are stepping into a new path. And that's the, that's the next step. Uh, just thinking about, I'm a capitalist, but I shudder often at, at how capitalism is interpreted in, in subsectors of the investor community and the financial community uh, and the media community. I, should say. I, 
Yes, we could definitely have much longer conversation about that. I, I agree. I actually was talking to my son-in-law and daughter uh, on that very topic yesterday on the difference between, well, the damn capitalism and no, you know, values-based benign capitalism is a force for good. And that's certainly how I've tried to live my life. I mean, I'm by no means a, you know, a venture capitalist and you know, any of those things, but, you know, investing in the future, things that build value over time for many people rather than just for, uh, for the individual. But that's a whole other, whole other conversation. Neil, this has just been absolutely fascinating conversation. And I want to thank you for addressing this topic and helping to raise awareness and, and bring this out. It's something that's much needed and sounds like you were, you were the right person at the right time based on your family history. And, and by the way, my condolences on, uh, on your father. Thank you. I, thank you. Sorry. That's not by the way. That sounds like a, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I understand. Look, it was a book that I had to write, you know, and, uh, I'm writing another book by the way. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, one of the many things I'm doing right now, it's actually really exciting. Uh, it's about a subset of international corporate crime. But putting that aside, yeah, look, it was a book that had to be written as a moment in time. And there's other people with me on this journey, right? So I'm not alone. And that's what's really exciting. Very cool. Where can people find you? Where can people find your book? You know, go ahead, pitch. Yeah, you know, I might, yeah, I'm supposed to say that. So I got a website. It's just my name, neilcman.com. You can Google me. But, and the, the book is everywhere. It's in physical bookstores, online bookstores, one big one that starts with an A, <laughs> everywhere. And yeah, it's called Accelerated Minds and uh, you can learn all about it and ping me with your feelings about it. It's been really interesting to get that feedback. Great. Do you have a social media presence? Y you know, for my own mental health, I've been trying to I've <laughs> trying to mitigate that, but I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter presence, but then I discovered her ex that half of my followers, because I resurrected my account, are robots from Matra. <laughs> Well, not evil robots, just <laughs> robots. So I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm there. But I don't use Facebook, and I just have limited limited headspace. There. I, I I am also I am three years Facebook sober. So yeah, boy, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Neil. Thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. We will definitely continue this conversation uh, at another time. This is great. I also need to give a good big shout out to our producer, Natalie, our editor, James, our sponsor, Dig, and of course, to our listeners, because without you, it would just be Neil and I chatting, which would be great and fun, but it wouldn't be nearly as gratifying to think, hope maybe we're helping some people as well. So, so thank you. Thank you, Lenny. Thank you to the team. And thank you to all your listeners uh, around the world. A really empowering uh, discussion. Thanks, Lenny. Thank you. All right, everybody, take care. Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. 
And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.